Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of The Arnies. We are three security droids with nothing better to do. I'm Austin Terry, and I'm joined, you know who I'm joined by, Matt Johnson and Keith Baker. Matt, how are you? Feeling good. It was a long day at work, so I'm a little sleepy. I feel like one of those uh, weird purple slimy mind things it has its tentacles wrapped around me <laughs> oh no well you do know a side effect of that is you might go insane well yeah that's what they say the side effect is but then as long as somebody says one thing to you that sounds familiar you're totally fine <laughs> are you a pilot i am i'm, I'm good I, okay i know exactly who i am <laughs> and there he is that's our other host that's keith keith how are you I'm doing Keith, good. AKA um, Saw Guerrera, you might say. He's our resident. <laughs> Guerrera. Is that because of his shaved head? <laughs> Jin, save the dream. All right. Well, audience, I'm I'm very sorry because as you might have just heard Keith's Saw Guerrera impression, get ready for a lot of that because he was doing it this whole week while we were talking. So he's been practicing for this episode. And welcome, everybody, if you're a first-time listener. We are the Arnies. This is a show about uh, movies, TV, and gaming, and really everything in between. You caught us on a week where we're in our Star Wars series, and this week we are talking about Rogue One, a Star Wars series. This is the film in the franchise that I think the opinions across the three of us may differ the most. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. This is my favorite Star Wars movie in the franchise, and I can't wait to break it down. Matt, give us some thoughts so we can get to the episode. Yeah... I don't know. <laughs> I saw this in theaters. I haven't seen it since. Um, so it was good to watch it again, for sure. Just to kind of see if I still felt the same way after, I guess, like four years at this point. And I guess what I came to realize is even though I don't love the movie, I guess I can't really argue that it's not one of the best. I mean, as we've talked about in this franchise, there's like, what, 11 movies now? Maybe three of them are even <laughs> you can only consider three of them maybe even good <laughs> so yeah i mean I, I don't love it i think it's a strong movie i think i liked it more this time around but you know i think it has a lot of problems i think more so than any of the other movies in this franchise this one just suffers and we'll get into why in a minute but just to kind of tee us up i just think they really wrote themselves into a corner with these characters um i just I don't care about any of them so that's where I'm at. That's my big problem with this movie. Among the purple mind uh, guy as well and and Forrest Whitaker's performance. <laughs> <laughs> top three problems. Top three problems. <laughs> Alrighty. Well, let's get into our movie facts. And we have to start, as always, with our cast. We have Felicity Jones as Jin Erso. I rebel. Diego Luna as Cassian Andor. Ben Mendelsohn as Orson Krennic. Forrest Whitaker as Saw Gerrera. Riz Ahmed as Bodhi Rook. And Donnie Yen as Sharut Imwe. This film is also directed by Gareth Edwards, written uh, by Chris Weitz, and scored by Michael Giacchino. I honestly don't know who Gareth Edwards is. The director? Yeah, he's... What's his thing? Was he the guy that did Godzilla? Yeah, Godzilla. Okay. This movie's better than that. I I hate Godzilla. That movie 
Ooh, talk about just a waste of fucking time. <laughs> I hated that movie. Probably one of the best trailers I've ever seen for a movie. Forrest Whitaker, I guess you could say, after watching these trailers, he kind of had the Brian Cranston role. <laughs> and uh, we thought Brian Cranston was going to be a big part of Godzilla and dies about two minutes in. Forrest Whitaker is in like the prologue to this movie briefly. And then he shows up with the dumbest outfit and hair I've ever seen. He's literal. He's so bad in this movie. It's just, it's just comical. I hate, I hate him in this movie. <laughs> and I, and I like Forrest Whitaker a lot as an actor, but in the theater and watching it this time, I felt like I was like looking around the room during some of the scenes. Like, are you guys seeing this? <laughs> Such a weird performance. Yeah, I thought we would get into this later, but let's just go ahead and do it now. Do you not like him as a result of his performance in this film, or is it just because of the way his character is written? Oh, it's definitely both. I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm getting, I'm just kind of, I think I'm mostly joking around. I think he does what he can. I think he's supposed to be this eccentric character, which they do set him up as, as he's like this insurgent, he's on the opposition. And I think his time doing that has driven him a bit insane. So they do set that up. So I'll give him that. I just, the voice and the lines are so bad. And then like the needless sacrifice after, <laughs> I love whenever he's like, Jim? And then she's like, you abandoned me when I was a kid. And then he's like, but we're still friends. <laughs> and she's like, what are you talking about? And then the planet gets destroyed and he's like, save the dream. And then just dies. <laughs> it's so funny. That, that was just confusing me. They're like, he's an extremist. I was like, in what way? That he's like smoking weed out of his stupid oxygen <laughs> tank thing. I don't know. Like, what is he doing? <laughs> he's just living on this weird Jetta planet. Or a city, whatever. Yeah. I think he's just used a bunch of guerrilla tactics that the rebellion just wasn't ready to embrace yet. Yeah, I think that he's kind of a weird example almost. He's probably the most extreme example of why some of the characters in this movie are weird. It's like, it's just so, fr like their introductions are so front loaded with information about who they are. And then when they die, you just don't care. That's kind of how I, it's like a more contained example, I think, of all the characters in this movie. But, uh, yeah, it's just when you basically are spending, what, maybe two hours and five minutes, not including credits, and you're trying to introduce so many main characters that we all knew were all going to die. It's kind of like, it's kind of hard to care about them when they try. It feels like every character, it's like in their first scene, it's like, okay, here are three facts about me. <laughs> and then you learn <laughs> nothing else about them the entire time. And then they have like maybe one scene where they talk to like one other character and then they just die at the end. So, you know, it is what it is. Um, so we do have some production stuff to talk about. Gareth Edwards is announced as the director and he comes right out and says his goal is to make a gritty war movie. He feels like this franchise has lost sight of the fact that it's based off of one long war. So he's going to do his best to make a gruesome war movie that just happens to be set in the Star Wars franchise. So wait, his problem was that that was his problem that it was the whole franchise is based on a really long war? No. So he feels like this whole franchise has lost sight of the fact that really everybody is embroiled in this overlapping war. So he wants to focus on like the smaller characters of like, why is somebody in the rebellion or why is a governor a loyal empire soldier he wants to focus on like individual motivations yeah i mean this 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 one definitely touched on we'll say the non like main characters of the franchise so i mean you get to see the behind the scenes of the actual rebels fighting so that I mean that yeah i get what he's saying i do think this film does do a really good job of establishing what it's like to be just like a normal person living amongst all this like all the cities 
like everything just here feels really lived in like the shots of the stalls in the cities or the people fleeing whenever a skirmish breaks out and i think it's just a really grounded take on star wars which maybe why i like this film so much yeah can agree with that so with this production we also have to talk about the reshoots yeah this was like the first movie where everybody started freaking out about the term reshoots i feel like so it's not actually this film that starts the panic about reshoots um suicide squad had actually come out right before this and as everybody may remember uh suicide squad was the film that got all the crazy press about the reshoots and then you know that film comes out and we start seeing all the articles of all the meddling that warner bros did in that film in post-production so all that comes out about suicide squad and then that's when people start panicking when the articles start coming out about rogue one having heavy reshoots however it does seem like the reshoots in this film may have actually worked out in its favor um, it's estimated that up to 40% of this film was reshot, and Tony Gilroy was actually brought in to help write and oversee some of these reshoots, and he actually went on to earn a screenplay credit, which apparently after the director's cut is screened is like super unheard of to really get another credit like given to someone else. Yeah, that's what I remember hearing as well. Um, I don't know what scenes specifically were reshot, I just remember like whenever you go back and look at the trailers, people... I guess some people were upset because the original trailers seemed to have a way cooler shot. It seemed to imply that the final battle may have played out differently. So I don't know what was reshot, but everything you just said, I remember hearing. So it would be interesting to actually know what they changed. And Yeah. So like you said, we don't actually know what was reshot for this film. Um, but Tony Gilroy has actually come out and said they did like more work on like character motivations. More work? <laughs> so what was it like before <laughs> so he was really trying to flush out like why these characters would be so willing to sacrifice themselves at the end and also apparently a bulk of the reshoots went to the final battle that on makes Scarif sense. As well. there are definitely some scenes that feel a bit forced kind of before the final battle starts where out of nowhere characters start i don't even know how to describe it like they're saying things that they haven't been saying up until this point and it kind of feels like just really quickly it's like yeah, we're in. We're a rebel. <laughs> <laughs> we're we're gonna fight for the rebels. So it is a little bit forced. Um, but uh, you know, I, I did, I did appreciate it more th on this watch. I think even though it is so fast and some of it is kind of laugh worthy, how some of these characters just out of nowhere are apparently gonna go on the suicide mission. I, I do think it does work for the most part. So Tony Gilroy has also been clear to say that like him and Gareth Edwards worked very closely on these reshoots and that like they got along great but then he's also done these weird interviews where he's like the film was a total mess when i got there they were a total swamp before i stepped in <laughs> and then he's what? also gone on to say like the film was so bad when he got there that it was only possible to improve it there was no way to make it worse That's who knows <laughs> it sounds like a mess who knows what's true yeah i have no idea so one other thing i do want to touch on here is gareth edwards has said that he really did want to make a dark gritty war movie but then that he also personally believed that Disney would not allow a dark ending. So there actually is a version of this film where everybody survives, but it was never filmed. Uh, so maybe that's something Tony Gilroy also changed was maybe Edwards had like a lighter ending. And then Tony Gilroy came in and was like, no, this movie's about sacrifice. These people need to die. Yeah, I definitely remember hearing either like when the reshoots were starting or right after the movie came out that either in the original script or it sounded like the original plan was for at least Jin, Cassian, and I think maybe it was Baze, maybe, were supposed to survive. 
and then the movie comes out and then everybody just dies at the end. So, yeah, it seems like just for whatever actually happened behind the scenes, it, it kind of just sounds like Gareth Edwards and Tony Gilroy must have just had a different take on how this movie should end and how the final like 45 minutes of the battle should play out. So it is kind of interesting. It does feel a bit cobbled together. So Yeah, and Gilroy has gone on to say like, you know, Gareth Edwards is a huge Star Wars fan. Um, and Tony Gilroy doesn't really give a shit about Star Wars. That's what he said. So Gilroy doesn't really have that same reverence that Edwards did. So maybe Gilroy was like a little bit more cavalier about being uh, able to kill characters off where Edwards may have been just like a little bit more attached uh, because of his fandom. Yeah, that's, that sounds weird to say. I feel like I, out of all people, and we'll talk about it when we get to The Last Jedi, but I, I think it's cool when people that aren't like super big fans of something still participate in a franchise, but that is just a weird quote. I mean, it's one thing if Tony Gilroy comes in and he's like, yeah, I didn't really grow up with Star Wars, so I just tried to tell the best story I could without adhering to the franchise. That's one thing, but to say that you don't care about the characters, then, I mean, these are all original characters. <laughs> so, I mean, you kind of need to care about them because you're trying to get us over the span of just over two hours to be introduced to all these people and then understand their motivations and care when they die. And we'll get to it at the end. I think some characters, they certainly did better than others, but some of them, it's like, who the f- who cares? <laughs> so that, if, he, if Tony Gilroy really said that, that's kind of messed up to kind of talk about your own characters that way that we're supposed to care if you don't care why should i care it's the audience basically keith you're our resident star wars super fan what do you think do you want somebody working on this film that really has that like attachment and reverence for star wars or would you rather have somebody working on these films that isn't as attached and willing to take some more risks i don't care i mean as long as they do a good job really i mean which i think they did overall i mean going back to um the ending you know should these main characters uh survive or sacrifice themselves i thought it was pretty cool that they sacrifice themselves that's something you don't really see in a lot of the other star wars movies so that's i think that's why it made this movie unique what well, is it it is actually funny though because uh i i kind of mentioned a second ago but keith's point that he just made is very it's basically the perfect tease for two weeks from now when we do the last jedi because that's what people talk about with ryan johnson he's somebody that's a lifelong star wars fan but also somebody that felt that the series needed to be taken in a different direction and was okay with doing that. So it'll be interesting to see how we feel about it on you know this viewing. Um, it's also, I guess this would be the perfect time to bring it up, but I think they just really, and I mentioned it at the very beginning, but they just, they'd had a tough job with this movie, man. I know apparently this, the concept for this movie had been around for a long time, you know, doing something about the rebels stealing the Death Star plans, but Dude, it's one thing to make a prequel where kind of like, you know, with the, the Star Wars prequels, we know what's going to happen. We're introduced to a young Anakin Skywalker and he can seem like a pleasant enough kid. But as time goes on, we know he's going to be Darth Vader. So when you do a prequel, it is tough because there's a roadmap and you can't stray from it. But in this case, they did like, I guess you would call it like an interquel where we know what happens right before this movie and we know what happens literally right after. So I don't, it's a tough job and to have characters that you want people to care about and they kind of have to die almost. It's a tough gig. So I do think though, there is a certain freedom that comes with that as well. Cause even if this is like a prequel or an interquel, whatever you just called it there, like we're still working with all new characters and we still have a lot of brand new characters that we've never seen before. So we don't have like an Obi-Wan Kenobi or like a Yoda that has like certain traits that people love that the characters have to adhere to. Like we kind of have a blank slate that we can work with. 
there really is just like a lot here that we haven't seen done before. And for me, when I saw this in theaters and even still today, it just feels like such a breath of fresh air for this franchise. It's just so different. I agree. I think it's just one of those things like when I was sitting in the theater and it ends, it's weird because if they had done something crazy where some of these characters make it out alive and it's like it sets up their own future story, that would have been surprising. Would it have been good? I don't know. But then when it ends the way it does where everybody just dies, it it does feel a little bit hollow in the sense because then you can kind of just retroactively go, oh, yeah, they all had to die because none of them were in the original movies. So I get what you're saying. And I think they did pull off a lot and stuff that we'll talk about that I never gave them credit for. So it's just interesting, like the fact that they made a movie that takes place just a couple days before A New Hope, capturing the Death Star plans. We know where that leads. So it was it was a tough task. And I think in a lot of ways they succeeded. And in some we'll get into if we think they did or not. Well, let's get into the reception really quick. Uh, This movie comes out and it makes a billion dollars worldwide against a $200 million budget. It launches with an 84% on Rotten Tomatoes and was overwhelmingly uh, well received by critics. Critics praise the scope of the film and the willingness to focus on the war aspect of the Star Wars franchise. Critics also liked most of the new characters in this film and felt the fan moments were done well, but weren't too overwhelming for the film. Um, They also were clear to point out that a lot of first-time viewers for the Star Wars franchise could come in and enjoy this film without having felt like they needed to have seen the other films. Um, As for the negatives, critics did not like the writing or the character development. Um, A couple also felt the film was overbloated and had some action scenes just for the sake of having an action scene. Uh, There were some critics that felt this movie didn't introduce any memorable new characters and didn't capture the same magic as the originals. It's tough. I mean, I feel like we talked about it a little bit. I I think with the characters in this movie, there's just too many. I feel like objectively there's too many. For to have almost all original characters, again, like I've already said, for a movie that's two hours and five minutes without credits – there was no way they were going to introduce all these characters, give them good motivation, kill them, and have us care. There's no way they were going to do that. So I don't think they were all poorly written. I think some were a bit the wood. The performance was a bit wooden. I think some of them, like Bodhi Rook, I just I understand his motivation. It's very clear. But there's just not enough there for me to even remotely care when he dies. I mean, I get that he's a defector from the Imperials. I guess he defected because Galen Erso told him to, which is like, okay. And then his whole motivation is- Well, I'm sure Galen was like his mentor and all that, you know? I I guess, but I mean, it would have been nice to get that. And the way it comes off of the movie is like, Galen Erso sent me. Why? (laughs) He told me to, I don't know. Um, (laughs) So yeah, it's a case-by-case basis. And obviously we'll break down some of these characters. I think some of them are poorly written. Saw Gerrera is just garbage, as we've already talked about. Um, as for some of the other things they pointed out there, I think the scope and focusing on the war aspect is a major positive. The last 45 minutes of this movie really are just Oh my solid. god, dude, it's incredible. Yeah, the Battle of Scarab it's like is the, it, It's some of the best stuff in Star Wars. Yeah, it's awesome. it is great. So in that sense, I agree. I don't really think there was much action that um, shouldn't have been there. I don't really know what they're referring to. So I won't, I won't harp too much on it because we've already talked about it. I just think I would agree that the main negative for me, it, it honestly really just is all about the characters. So that, that's where it's at for me. And I just want to be really clear for the audience. Like it, it was honestly really hard for me to find negative reviews for this film. Like of the movies that we've done for this series so far, this was easily the most widely praised film. So definitely well received by critics. Not Justice League? Not Justice League. No. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I think, I think the good thing, <laughs> I think the good thing about this one is, 
I think even people like me that don't love this movie and people that gave it negative reviews, I think they pretty much just they only had one major thing to say, which was and it is a big thing. I mean, I'm going to say that, but the writing for the main characters and the motivations is a pretty big negative for me. But I will to Austin's point, I think it does show how solid the movie is. If if you look at all the negative reviews, that's pretty much the only negative they have. It is a big one, but there's not like a million little things you can pick apart like the prequels, for example. And there is one more review I do need to read, you guys. Oh, no. It's not from any of you. Oh, okay. Thank God. I was nervous. It's from the main man himself, George Lucas. Oh, I saw this. <laughs> I saw He it. liked it more than The Force Awakens. Yeah. <laughs> well, that makes sense. I'm with him on that. I did, too. <laughs> yeah. I did, too. I did, too, actually. All right, enough of that production stuff. Let's get into the movie. Um, we are very quickly introduced to Jin and her family. Papa? <laughs> stardust. My stardust. Papa? <laughs> <laughs> All right, Austin. Go ahead and set this up because, oh my God, once we get to the farm part already, this movie was off to such a goddamn good start, and it just introduces one of the dumbest things I've ever seen. So please, set this up, Austin. <laughs> so we are very quickly introduced to Jin and her family. Uh, we find out that her father is, uh, I guess, an imperial scientist. Basically. Uh, who worked on all their weapons. Yeah. yeah, her father's name is Galen Orso. Uh, and the main villain of our film, Captain Krennic, is trying to get Galen to come back and finish up his work on the Death Star. You know, like I said, it starts off so great. I love, even just visually, I love the shot of them flying down. I like how everything looks practical except the ships. You know, like the actual... And a totally new planet as well. Thank you. Thank you for not giving us <laughs> Yeah, Tatooine. and it looked different too, which was appreciated. Um, it was such like a beautiful vista and the mountains, and then you could actually see like the, the waves hitting the water, and then there's just these crazy Star Wars ships flying over. It was such a cool thing to see. Um, and I love the interaction between Galen and Orson Krennic, where Galen tries to pass it off that his family is dead. He has nothing. He kind of you know, isn't what he used to be, but Krennic somehow already has seen through that. And yeah, I think we do need to give a good shout, a big shout out to Ben Mendelsohn as Krennic because he is so great in this movie, I think. Do you guys feel that way as well? Yes, definitely. I remember seeing him in, um, did y'all ever see Bloodline? Yeah, he was great in that. He's in Bloodline and he's also in HBO's The Outsider, Outsider as well. And he's fantastic in that. He's a good actor. Yeah, I, I thought he, I, I think he might actually be my favorite actor in this movie i think he did a great job playing that yeah, role yeah i think it's easily uh, one of the best performances and we'll get into it later with the scenes with darth vader oh, I, so oh man good. so so cool <laughs> yeah uh yeah this opening scene though with galen and uh krennic was pretty cool um uh, i think it was a good good intro into uh galen kind of setting up the way he kind of denounced the empire and he's just trying to be an innocent farmer it is nice too to see an empire soldier actually like look around and say, "Hey, I don't really want to be doing this." Like we don't really get that, you know, like in any of the, any of the other yeah. movies. Like all the other, anytime we see like a stormtrooper or a general, like they're always completely bought in. I guess except for Finn yeah. in the new Finn, series. Yeah. Um, but other than that, though, like it is nice to see that there is at least like some people who do think for themselves within this regime. Hmm. Yeah, and uh, I thought this was a great opening. Unfortunately, as I referenced, 
We got some dumb stuff going on already. What in Jakku's name was this mother thinking? (laughs) She just fucking... She's supposed to go off with their kid and hide. And she just walks up to them. She loves her husband. She's like, I'm going to try and save him. There's like five guards here. She just... I thought that was kind of funny how she's like... I don't remember her name as like it's Lyra, like Lyra, Lyra. Lyra, yeah, Lyra's dead. He's, and then she's like, "Oh, Lyra's back." I know, to the and dead. she just, yeah. I liked, it, I liked his line, but his whole thing, and clearly this was a plan that they must have had. Is like, I'm going to try and convince him that you guys are dead, and then she just, it's not like she's hiding in the grass and like is listening and like pops up. She just walks over, <laughs> obviously dies. So I was laughing at that scene pretty hard. I was like, I just don't know what her master plan was here. So I'll play devil's advocate here. Clearly, Lyra and uh, and Krennic have had like an existing relationship, so I'm sure she was just trying to like leverage that that they know each other. Maybe he won't kill me. Maybe he'll be happy to see me. You know, like that sort of stuff. Yeah. Well, I guess that then that begs the question of if she knew that Galen's plan was to say that she was dead. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's true. So, either either way, it's pretty funny. And then yeah, so then Jen goes to her weird underground bunker, and then she is rescued by a young Sagar era, <laughs> uh, and that's kind of where the uh, it goes to the title card, if I remember right, which was a bit odd. The music and did you do you guys like the main theme in this movie? I like the music, but the main theme just sounds like you know what the main theme in this movie sounds like. It sounds like Austin for our um, music bracket episode. It sounds like the fake Star Wars music. <laughs> it sounds so cheap. It sounds like it's about to be Star Wars. It goes like yeah, bam, 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 bam. <laughs> it's like it goes weirdly like cheap. It's almost like even though it's a Star Wars movie, they couldn't afford John Williams. Well, that's how I was going to say they didn't have John Williams, so they had to do what we had to do. They had to go online and find some free samples to play. I, yeah, they're clearly just trying to do their own thing, but I just thought it was kind of a misfire. Anyway, so that's our opening. I think besides the mom thing, it's it's pretty solid. It kind of gets you invested, and I, I like that we get to see Krennic right away. And I agree with you guys. I think. Both the character and uh, Ben Mendelsohn are, are just great. So, solid opening. Yeah, so we do have like a... Let's just cut pretty much like right to Jeddah. Um, there's a pretty yeah. big time jump. Um, Jin is now grown up. She is very quickly recruited by the Rebellion um, because they want her to get them in contact with Saw Gerrera, who's an extremist. And they also want to leverage the fact that she is Galen's daughter to maybe help, maybe help the Rebel Alliance track down Galen, who is now working on the Death Star for the Empire. It's, she's not bought in. She kind of goes against her will. Um, I think she's more just interested in finding if there's a chance to find her dad, she'll take it. But kind of the classic thing, she's not really invested in the actual, like, you know, the uh, the rebel, the mission, the code or anything like that. So she's like the Han Solo. A little bit. Story. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I think she's also just a survivor, too. Like she wants to she's just trying to get by. You know, her family's been taken from her um, and, and she's clearly had a falling out with Saw Gerrera. So at this point in her life, she's really just trying to get by and, and stay out of the way of both the Empire and the Rebellion. Yeah, exactly. So you're right. We do it. Basically, after the title card comes up, we're we're in Jeddah very quickly. Like the movie kind of gets going pretty quick, which is appreciated. Obviously, as we've talked about, it would have been nice to maybe find about a bit more about some of the characters like, you know, but whatever. I guess we do meet Cassian and I guess maybe not K2SO yet, but Cassian, we get that kind of scene that I actually like when he's 
a spy and he actually kills an informant pretty brutally, which I thought was like, whoa, quite the intro. But I actually, you know, I was pretty harsh on Cassian's character the first time I saw it. I was like, because he's basically the other main lead, I guess I was a bit harder on him than like the other side characters that are purposefully smaller parts, I would say. But I actually, I mean, I like Diego Luna as an actor, but I, I kind of I warmed up to Cassian as a character a bit more this time around. And I, his intro is so cool. I love that he's going to get information on the uh, Empire. And the second like things go wrong, he kills the stormtroopers and then also kills the informers. Like, whoa, <laughs> like it was unexpected in a good way. And I don't know if this line is in reshoots or if it was in the original movie. And I've already mentioned it once, but I do think that line later on where he goes, I've been in this war since I was six. I think that line is one of the best lines in this movie because it makes it helps you better understand Cassian's motivations. He's been doing this forever. Um, it helps you understand like why he's willing to so easily kill his informant because he'll do whatever it takes to get the rebellion to be moving forward because he has no love for the Empire at all. And he's been doing this for so long. He's just been worn down by this war. Yeah. And like he tells Jid in that same scene, you know, it must be nice to be able to choose when you believe in something. I haven't had that. I've been forced to be in this fight since I was six. So I think part of that also is what like, that's probably one of the other main things besides Galen's death that makes Jin finally like, I'm a rebel. I rebel. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, it, it is what it is. But I, d- I did like Cassian a lot more this time. So it was it was a bit easier to get on board of their little team up at the beginning whenever they go to Jeddah, the three of them along with K2SO. Yeah, so um, so let's get into Jeddah. Um, the Empire is here trying to mine crystals to power the Death Star. It's also revealed that crystals power uh, these the Jedi's lightsabers. Um, so I guess these must be really powerful sources of energy. Mm-hmm. Cassian and Jin are coming here to try and get a meeting with Saw Gerrera, whose base is also on Jeddah. And uh, Saw Gerrera's forces have been launching like raids, basically, on the Empire's forces. Yeah, I like the uh, the opening scene here um, when her and um Cassian are going through the town mm-hmm. and they uh run into some troopers and they run into Chirrut and Baze. I thought that was a pretty badass action scene. I guess we should talk about it in Chirrut and Baze. I like the performances. What are what are the wills? <laughs> what do these guys believe in? I'm I'm a bit I'm a bit confused here. My two biggest flaws with this movie are we don't understand really these two guys this background and then also saw Guerrera. those are my two biggest things in this movie but i i would have liked to have spent more time here figuring out who these guys are what they believe in what their relation is to the jedis like i think all that stuff would have been really interesting to learn i know well they asked Jarrett if he's a jedi and he says no but he says i i'm with them with the force though or something like that it's like i'm not a so i, I don't know i don't know <laughs> it's, it's a bit it's a bit strange clearly there is a connection to the jedi in some way because jedi is like apparently the last sacred jedi ground which on this viewing i thought i think it's interesting that it got destroyed because we always kind of joke about how why is it that 20 years from now that everybody in the sequel trilogy is like Luke Skywalker, he's real? It's like, yeah, how don't you know that? But if, and like, why doesn't anybody know about the Jedi? Well, maybe if all of the Jedi, like, yeah, places of importance were destroyed, like Jeddah, maybe that's why. So that was interesting. Yeah. But also, going back to the, the Wills thing, I know the Wills have something to do with the Force. Obviously, Chirrut, I remember when I saw the trailers, I thought he was like a former Jedi that was blinded. Um, but apparently not. He just has the he believes in the force, but also, I mean, there's so many scenes in this. The guy's blind. 
he must he 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 must be a force user, right? I, he's got to be in some way. It's so confusing because I don't know the mystery they want to portray. I mean, yeah, I think he, the implication is he must have some level of the force. Um, but I agree, and it's a shame because, like Austin said, I think both these guys, Donnie Yen and Jang Wen, I believe is how you pronounce the actor that plays Bays. Um, the performances are great. I really like them, and I like how. Oh, uh, yeah, they're. I awesome. like how they. Yeah, I like how they introduce these two characters specifically, like Cassian and K two S O. That they introduce them as like a package deal, like they have a history already. I like that, but it, it is kind of a flaw that we really don't get into at all what they believe in, especially when Bays doesn't believe in it anymore. We're kind of left, but I don't. I don't. I don't know what Chirrut believes in really, except the Force. Is that it? I don't understand it really. So. Well, get ready for Chirrut and Bays coming to Disney Plus soon. <laughs> Chirrut and Bays, can't wait! Hell yeah! <laughs> actually, I actually probably watch that. If I, could make a I would. I would honestly be so in for that. <laughs> yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah. Maybe they can tie into the Obi Wan show if that ever gets made. Well, they are doing actually. The I think they're still trying to make the Cassian and K two S O prequel show as well. Which oh, I'd be I down was never, for that. I was never. I was never interested in that. But after this viewing, I'm actually kind of down for that. So. I'd be yeah. down for just a solo K2SO stand-up show. Like, man. <laughs> yeah. He was, I, I always love K2SO. KTSO is fucking amazing. He's better. He's the yeah. best droid in, the, in this entire franchise. He's yeah, better than R2. He's better than 3PO. Well, he's better than 3PO. 3PO. He's better than B. He's better than BBA. <laughs> he's amazing. <laughs> he's better than that weird droid they for some reason introduced in Rise of Skywalker. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he he's leaps and bounds better than three PO. I think he he's definitely better than R two slightly. And something I was thinking about on this viewing is he basically is R two because we know based on R 2s beeps and how people respond to him that he is kind of sassy a little bit. R2 does have sass to him and he's so helpful and he always saves the day. K2SO is basically that except just a, with a voice actor. So I thought that was kind of cool. So I really I really He's the most K2. like um battle-worthy out of those droids. Yeah. Sure. yeah. He's actually able to operate a gun. Well, that was cool as well because I, I like his backstory. It's pretty simple, but it, it, it's super effective that he was a former Imperial droid, specifically made yeah. for the Empire that was just reprogrammed. And then and a security he, he droid, too. Yeah. yeah. So it makes sense that he actually is useful in a bit of a different way. He's not like R2 who will uh, just drop a bunch of oil on the ground <laughs> and then turn on his jet boosters and light people on fire. He just is, just operates a gun like normal. So, yeah, super interesting. Well, I was going to say one more thing I just that I just realized. This is really, chronologically, the first time you see Stormtroopers. I guess you're right. Which, I thought, which yeah. is kind of cool. Yeah, yeah. I, this takes place, as we know, at the end, uh, like immediately, within days before A New Hope. So yeah, you're right. I guess this would be, at least in the movies, I assume if maybe that show Rebels, I guess, would be starting before, but in terms of live action, oh, yeah. definitely. Yeah. So pretty cool. Yeah, that is cool. Um, so let's go ahead and let's just get into uh, Saw Gerrera and his compound and let's just run, kind of run through everything with him. Oh, man. And there's a lot. A lot of, a lot of stuff happens here. We're introduced to Bodhi, played by the great Riz Ahmed. He's a great actor. And basically his first scene is just him going up to Saw's people and is like, Galen Erso told me to find Saw. I need to find him. And then he's just kind of bound and taken captive. And then this leads to just a bizarre scene where <laughs> Saw kind of interrogates him and doesn't believe anything he's saying. Lies! <laughs> so uh he so he forces him to sit in a cage 
where a purple mind slime ball attaches itself to him. And apparently it makes you tell the truth. And then Saul just throws in the last minute, but there is a side effect that you would go insane. It's like, <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, and so I guess this more, this leads us into kind of the rest of the characters being taken to Saul's fortress. So. Yeah, this, uh, this squid scene, man, I don't know why this is in the movie. How did this make it through <laughs> the reshoots as well? What were they thinking? Is it a rule that in the Star Wars universe in every desert planet there has to be some sort of like fat ass squid? <laughs> like you got Jabba the Hutt. Yeah. Then you have that other one in uh Unkar Force Awakens. Plot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Umpar. Yeah. And then you have Bokalit in this one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know what it's made it in, especially as I joked at the beginning. In the next scene, whenever um, Cassian and crew are talking to him, I guess we're supposed to be worried for him because he won't remember anything and he's been driven insane. But then Cassian just goes, you're the pilot. And then Bodhi's like, I'm the pilot. And he's like, you were sent by Galen Erso. And he's like, Galen Erso. And then he's fine the rest of the movie. So it's a little like, how did this make it through? I agree with you. I don't know. Yeah, but I also, I do like Bodhi later on, so I am glad they find a way to, like, regain his sanity, because I think he is a great character um, in the final couple acts of this film. Again, kind of like you were talking about the, the weird slime monster. I mean, I know it was kind of cool for people when Forrest Whitaker was cast as Saw Gerrera because apparently he voiced that character in The Clone Wars before this movie ever came out. So this was kind of a cool big deal where they brought back the same actor to play the same character in live action. but. Other than fan service, he serves no purpose here. I mean, they could have found a different way to get the hologram to her, I guess. It felt a little weird, and I didn't care at all for their reunion because Jin doesn't care, and Saw doesn't understand why she's mad. So it's just a weird scene that never gets resolved before he dies. Yeah, I kind of want to know if Forrest Whitaker got the Jared Leto Suicide Squad treatment where he filmed more <laughs> scenes, but they were cut. Yeah. Oh, man, I hope not. hope there wasn't any more of him. Yeah, but you are right, Matt. He is his character is is very much so shoehorned in here, and it does kind of feel pointless this this whole segment. This is my least favorite part of the film, but I am glad it only occupies like eight minutes of the film as well. Yeah, what did you think about um whenever we get to the hologram? What did you think about that? I actually do kind of like this because it does allow for Jen to get like a kind of last moment with her father without having us to have like a big reunion scene. Cause this is the beginning of the rogue one plan. So mm-hmm. it was definitely necessary. And so yeah. this is where, this is also where we find out that Galen has personally built in a weakness into the death star. And that was always the big joke. in the originals is why would the empire purposely build this big weakness? But we learn here, the empire didn't build it on purpose. They didn't even know about it. So what do you guys think about this little bit of retcon? Do you like, that the Empire doesn't know about this weakness, or do you kind of wish that we hadn't have had this in this film? I think it makes sense. I think it's a smart retcon. It was always strange. Like you, I won't go into it, because like you mentioned, uh, it is weird in the original that there is just such a specific way to destroy this thing. So I thought, I thought it was kind of a cool way to, you know, retcon that and give, you know, the characters in this movie a reason to understand how it can be destroyed, and that becomes the main goal. So I, I thought it was cool enough. I, I like the emotional moment where Jim's crying as well, and he starts switching from talking to Saw to talking to Jim. So I, I thought it was an effective scene. I enjoyed it. Yeah, I think this is so smart the way this is done because that just totally, this just totally erases that argument that people can make about how why would the Empire build that in? The Empire doesn't know about it. It was built by a defector basically. So I, I think it's really cool and smartly done. 
Unfortunately, the reunion's cut short by uh, the first test of the Death Star weapon. We get our return of Tarkin. He mm. demands to see a test of the weapon, and Krennic says he will not fail. And they shoot the they shoot the beam down onto Jetta City. Oh man, I thought that was so cool how they brought him back in this film, even though it was CGI and he did kind of look weird. Yeah, and they did. They still did a good job with his voice and mannerisms. Yeah. So see, I still this is this maybe just be a thing with me because I didn't notice the Henry Cavill mustache, but I don't think he looks weird in this film. Okay, I don't. <laughs> I, I did. I did this time watching the first time. I didn't because I think I hadn't seen the originals in a while. But now that I've watched the originals and then watched this one, like, oh yeah, you can definitely tell it's CGI. But yeah, uh, not doesn't take anything away. I mean, the guy's dead, so they did their best. To, yeah, to bring him back. Yeah, I, I get it. I think it's one of those things. A lot of people probably won't notice it unless, like Austin, he didn't notice the mustache until he looked at us side by side. It might be the same thing. You might not be able to visualize it until you look at them side by side. For me. It's just one of those things that as far as, you know, CGI and effects technology has advanced, there's just certain things that just haven't been mastered yet. And the the big one here, funnily enough, it is kind of similar to the Henry Cavill thing is the reason that looks so weird is because they CGI'd, they CGI'd out an entire mustache on his face. So his upper lip just never really moves. So it doesn't look natural. And Tarkin, I think he does for the most part, look really impressive. It's just the one thing that's so glaring is that like the area above his lip just doesn't really move much when he's talking. So it's like, it's like his, his, when he talks, his mouth only moves like down and to the side. <laughs> so it, it just looks a little odd, but like Keith said, look, does it look weird? And as time goes on, it's going to look even worse and worse as technology advances. But again, this is something we mentioned at the beginning with putting this movie right before episode four, if you're going to commit to making this movie with these characters, Tarkin has to be in it. I mean, if you're doing this story that involves the Death Star and testing out the weapon and the main villain being a, sub- a subordinate to Tarkin, I mean, there's no way he couldn't be in it. So I get it. You know, it is what it is. It's not a big deal for me. I don't think it looks great, but it definitely doesn't ruin the experience. It's just something you kind of accept and move on. Okay. So our gang of misfits is forced to flee, but they do decide to go to Edu to try and reunite Jin with her father, but secretly Cassian wants to assassinate Galen for the rebellion as well. Yeah, well, remember, Cassian wasn't planning on assassinating him. He was told last second by the uh, other commander, which I can't remember his name, to, like, remember he's taken aside right before they got on the ship. He's like, yeah, take him out. But we have um, we have learned that Cassian will do whatever it takes to accomplish. Yeah, exactly. So, so he, he is do up it. to this point still planning to go forward with the assassination. I thought Edu was pretty cool looking planet. Kind of reminded me of Camino, but with land. You yeah, know, just super rainy. Yeah, that's the great thing about this film is that it, we get so many new planets. And even like even though Jeddah is a desert planet, it doesn't feel like Tatooine. It feels like a totally different planet. So I, I I'm glad that this is like kind of a world building movie. Yeah, they definitely did a better job better job distinguishing Jetta from Tatooine than they did Jakku and Tatooine. Honestly, I've I've been thinking about it since we recorded that episode, and they honestly should have just made Jakku another city on the planet of Tatooine. Yeah. Yeah, that could have worked. I I would have been cool with that. But yeah, I I like the kind of conflict in this scene. I like that we know, we as the audience know going in that Cassian isn't trying to get, you know, Jin her beloved reunion and then say to save galen he's going to try and kill him so i like how there's you know a difference of goal there um yeah i, I don't have too much to say here I, 
I like that we see another Krennic and Galen scene before, you know, the end of this movie, because I really like the opening. So to see them kind of do another battle of wits to say it was pretty cool. And they, they did kind of joke earlier, but now at this point in the movie, Galen has kind of mastered lying, which he wasn't good enough at earlier. So he's kind of able to fool everybody. And until the end, when we do, apparently Krennic knows about Bodhi and all that good stuff. So Galen kind of outs himself as the person that uh, gave away the information. But before anything can really happen, you know, the rebels drop a bomb on them pretty much. <laughs> yeah. So. Oh, I was going to say, this scene definitely uh, validates the the ruthlessness of the empire because um, they do that firing squad on the scientists and you think they were, you know, they were going to let them live because Galen confessed, but yeah, they ended up firing him on it, firing on them anyway. So Cassian sees Galen trying to defend these people as well, which causes him to hesitate. But um, yeah. the rebel bombing squadron is already in formation and, and starting their run. Yeah. And then Jin just runs out into the open like her mother before her and just goes, father, it's like, what are you Papa. doing? <laughs> like, like, she's actually lucky that that bomb dropped because if it hadn't, she would have just been shot in the head by one of a thousand people just standing there. So I thought it was kind of funny. They are forced to leave Edu, but KTSO has another sweet line where Bodhi uh, shoots down some TIE fighters and KTS goes, you're a rebel now. Cassian told him to say that, though. <laughs> <laughs> So we do have our first uh, shot of Vader in this movie. So, yeah, before we get into it, there's only one negative to this scene to me. And I love James Earl Jones. He's a legend. Does pretty noticeably sound a lot older here. Kind of a bit distracting in some moments. But I just didn't even care. Basically, I don't remember all the lines verbatim except one. But the whole purpose of this scene is Krennic's coming to him. And it seems like they're on different pages. I think Vader thinks he's coming so that Vader can, like punish him or something for because Tarkin and Vader are on the same page you know they're both impressed by the Death Star weapon but they're also both pissed that under Krennic's kind of watch Bodhi was able to escape and Galen was able to send a message where it turned out there's a flaw in the Death Star so and and this is so cool because Krennic thinks he's like hot shit and he's just like look you know I know I fucked up but you know we'll figure it out I mean the Death Star man Death Star's pretty cool you love the, you like the Death Star <laughs> I like the Death Star and then I like how Krennic's whole motivation here is he just wants an audience with the Emperor I think he thinks if I just get to the top if I speak to the main guy then you know he'll understand he'll give me a promotion all that good stuff and at the last moment where Vader's like, I'm not going to even recognize the Death Star until you make absolutely sure that there's not a flaw in it. Yeah, he says, make sure the weapon is not compromised. Yeah, and he turns his back on Krennic, walks away, and then Krennic just has to have the last word. He's like, so am I it's still in my command? And then he just keeps on walking, and he's like, are you going to get the Emperor? And then the most badass choking scene in this entire franchise. <laughs> so good. And Ben Mendelsohn also... The way he acts this, where he just kind of like slowly realizes that he like can't breathe is so cool, falls to his knees. And I know there's people out there that think this line is bad. It's not bad. It's Vader's great. like, be careful not to choke on your own aspirations. Oh, that line was so bad. So <laughs> awesome. I love it. I, that was iconic Vader. Right Vader's there. always been like a little 
I don't, I mean, this is like the young Annie coming out. He's just having fun, baby. (laughs) (laughs) But Vader was kind of like this in the original. Like, I mean, he would choke people out for no reason and he would like throw like shitty like one-liners at them. (laughs) But this was awesome. (laughs) I love this. And then he just fucking leaves him alone. He just walks away for Krennic to catch his breath. It's so good. Let's get in to Scarif. Scarif is amazing. Yeah. Can we all agree on that? It's it's yeah. awesome. Yeah. It's probably the best part of the movie. Definitely. The rebels and our crew land on Scarif. They're in a stolen Imperial cargo ship, which lets them get all the way down to the surface. Jin and Cassian sneak into basically the like vault plans area, while the rest of the rebel forces on the ground are going to act as kind of a diversion to draw the Imperial forces away from Jin and Cassian. Yeah, I thought that was cool how they choreographed that and, you know, Cassian line was make 10 men feel like 100 mm-hmm. and which they did. You know, that was cool how they set the bombs up and they were going from one little island patch to another. And credit to Gareth Edwards who said he wanted to make a war movie. Yeah. Because this right here reminds me of Saving Private Ryan with like the diversion and trying to get keep the soldiers off of each other. And the scenes back on Jeddah City really remind me of Black Hawk Down with like the close quarter stuff. Um, so I think the fact that I can get both of these films from a Star Wars movie is just really a testament to what Gareth Edwards uh, wanted to achieve with this film. And I think he really did accomplish his vision. I think he succeeded. So now I want to touch on uh, Admiral Addis and the rest of the Rebel space fleet arriving into orbit above Scarif, because this is incredible. Yeah, it's cool that we get like a space fight to accompany everything else going on. Essentially, the people on land are trying to accomplish a bunch of different tasks. They need to they need to set up the, the comms tower. They need to get this master switch pulled. They need Bodhi needs to connect something. So the whole goal is they need to get the shield open. And then Jin and Cassian need to get the actual plan itself. And then they're going to try and basically upload the data, make it go through the shield, and then the fleet can get it essentially. So there's a lot of moving parts here. But for a while, like Austin mentioned, um, while the shields are closed... There's just this whole other badass fight going on above the planet, which was which was awesome. It was definitely the most visually spectacular and exciting space fight we've seen in this franchise to this point. Yeah, and I really think they do a good job here of like, so what are the best two movies in this franchise so far? It's Empire and it's Revenge of the Sith. So they take that awesome opening space sequence from Revenge of the Sith and they expand it and they let it play out in orbit above Scarif here. And then they take the ground sequence from Hoth and they expand it. So, you know, the rebels are in the trenches, they're fighting, they're using the guerrilla tactics, and it's really effective. Um, so they do a really good job of taking the best scenes from the best movies in the franchise and expanding them, making them visually pleasing, and letting them play out before our eyes in this final Scarif scene. Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. Yeah, I definitely like the part in the space battle whenever the, uh, one of the starships, the Imperial starships, um, loses power and the, uh, the rebel ship goes and pushes it into the other. Uh, man... That was so cool how they did that. That's how they effectively opened the shield, basically. And as Keith has talked about before, I think it's a little, it looks a little silly, kind of dark and stuff, but for the most part, it's pretty cool how, again, since this is just days before A New Hope, if the Rebel fleet's going to be involved, you're going to have to have, you know, the gold leaders, like the gold squadron, red squadron. So we do see cuts into the cockpit and they use like the same people from 40 years prior that we would see in the cockpit while watching the original Star Wars. So it's a little bit blurry. It looks a bit weird, but it's pretty cool. You want to know something interesting about that too? Mm. Um, that footage is actually scrapped uh, when they were filming A New Hope and Gareth Edwards found it in like a Lucasfilm uh, warehouse whenever they're doing research for this film. And he was like, hey, we should use that in this movie. So that's where they got it from. Yeah, that's cool. Nice. Yeah. It's kind of crazy to think about that. There could just be old Lucasfilm warehouses sitting around just full of old content that got cut. Oh, I know. Who yeah. knows what's out there? <laughs> yeah. 
Keith, I'm sure you'd love to have a look in there as our Star Wars super fan. <laughs> I would, yeah. <laughs> Ew, why was that so creepy? <laughs> Something sexual about that. Yeah. yeah, maybe there's more like... But you'd like to have a look in there, huh, Sonny? <laughs> Ew. Uh... <laughs> we can cut that out. <laughs> no, don't. No, it's funny. We do, unfortunately, have to say goodbye to a lot of characters here. Basically, everybody on the ground. But specifically, Sherut and Baze. Yeah, they do go. This is, again, this is where Chirrut uses the force here. I mean, literally everybody in their cover is getting shot in the head, and he just walks out and avoids every bit of fire and makes it to this master switch. It's cool, don't get me wrong, but I guess he must have he must be a force user in some capacity. But I like this scene. As we've talked about before, I think these performances from these two actors are solid, really good work. Um, but some of the weaker motivations in the movie, just for the fact of we don't understand the wills in this movie. I'm sure there's books to read and other Star Wars media, but I don't know what they are. So I like Cheer doing the I'm the force, the force is with me. And then he hits the switch and then pretty quickly gets blown up. But where where this scene really, I think, sings a bit is whenever Baze then walks up and kind of while his friend is dying in his arms, he kind of in a in a way... I guess you could say regains his faith in a sense and we get his badass death scene where now he's saying I'm the force the force is with me and he's taken out some more guys before he ultimately dies as well. Um, yeah, so even though I didn't really know much about these characters or their motivations, I do think they probably got maybe the best death scene. Yeah, I do really like this scene. I do think it's funny though how Shirut goes, look to the force and you'll always find me. And then two seconds later, Baze is dead. It's like he didn't have to look for that long. In, in the original cut, Baze must have survived, or the original premise, because based on that line, it feels like he should have gotten out. Um, I th- yeah, I feel like I heard that somewhere. I could be totally wrong, but yeah, effective scene, unlike Bodhi's death, which is almost comical, where he finally gets the thing set up because Chirrut's able to flip the switch, which means Bodhi can finally get the message to the Alliance, and then that someone just chunks a grenade in the ship, and he stares at it, and then just the <laughs> ship blows up. He had a solid amount of time to grab that and toss it. He did not take it. <laughs> it's time to say goodbye, once again, to K2SO. <sighs> Another good death. Pretty solid. Um, it's such an emotional death too like they did such a great job making me actually care about the droid in this movie yeah i think this is really cool he's protecting Jin and cassie and he's trying to help them at the same time help them get the death star plans like the actual little in the library of code or whatever you would call that i don't know so he's helping them find it at the same time he's just getting destroyed he's getting shot so many times and so many stormtroopers are coming in he's still getting good shots off um and then he ultimately sacrifices himself by He's taking so many shots, he just tells them they're going to have to climb instead of him helping them. And then he just destroys the console, locking the door and killing himself in the process. So another, I think, effective death scene. Yeah. And I like how you have his voice changing the more and more he gets shot. Yeah, It it really is such an emotional scene. Yeah. It sounds like he's like powering down or running out of battery, basically, is kind of how it seems like they took that approach while he's dying. So, yeah, I thought this was pretty emotional and I enjoyed it. The Rebel fleet is able to take out the shield gate in space, and the ground forces are able to transmit the Death Star plans. However, said Death Star does show up, and it shoots its destructive beam down into Scarif. Yeah, and now Tarkin's back in charge. After kicking Krennic out for his mistakes, we get to see kind of Tarkin in the same role that he had in A New Hope, where not only is he the Grand Moff, but he's also the one kind of in charge of shooting this weapon. So it was pretty pretty daunting to see the Death Star from the perspective of a 
you're on the planet looking up, seeing this thing about to destroy you. Oh my god, it's such a cool shot. Yeah. It's awesome. I uh, I really enjoyed this scene with the last scene with Krennic and Jin mm-hmm. uh, on the on the tower, and Krennic just thinks he's about to save the day, and then you know he gets shot by Cassian, and the defeat on his face was oh man, it was so cool to watch that. Yeah, I think this is a great scene as well. However, it is very stupid of Jin to then be like. The Death Star has a weakness. It's got a weakness, and I need to tell you about it. I would have, yeah. I would have been fine with that if she had been the one to then shoot him. It is kind of weird that she says that and then gets lucky that Cassian survived his fall yeah. and is able to then shoot him in the back. So yeah, I agree. A bit weird on this viewing. I was like, that was a that was an odd thing to do. <laughs> but again, as we've established, you know, the females in the Urso family, they have interesting timing. Uh, the mother just, you know. Maybe maybe a bit braver than they should be. Just walking on out. I'm going to save the day. Get shot immediately. Jin's like, "There's a we. There's a weakness in the Death Star," and then <laughs> she doesn't do anything after that. So kind of funny. I agree with you. It is odd, but it leads to some great stuff. You know, we finally the shield is fully down. Jin succeeded in getting it in. Krennic gets shot in the back. They upload the plan so the rebels officially have it. And then before we get to all that good stuff. We do get the last death, which is Jin and Cassian kind of walking back down to the ground, looking up at the Death Star. They see it fire, and then they basically have just a la- couple last few moments together before the blast kind of overtakes them. So, Yeah, it's just such a great scene. Um, and it, It's so sad, but it's also just so beautifully shot as well. And Matt, I know you've said you weren't very heavily invested in these characters, but from what we've been talking about, it sounds like you actually have really cared about some of these deaths too, though. Yeah, I I guess what I mean is I think the death scenes are good and they're effective. But that being said, like I like I mentioned, I I, I think like the Chirrut and Bay's death is well shot and well executed and it makes sense, you know, Bay's lost his faith, his friend is like you'll find me in the force and then before Bay's dies, now he's saying I'm the force, the force is with me, like oh, good stuff. Bodhi finally like he isn't just staying on the ship like he did on Edu. He actually has to go out and he has to avoid fire. He has his own job that he has to do that if he fails, then none of this will work. K2SO, same thing. Like Everybody has their own mission. All of these scenes are great. It's just, again, I don't know what the solution is. It's the problem with the movie. It's the runtime and having to be introduced to everybody. I still don't care when Bodhi dies. I think it's like an effective scene watching these people, but I just don't know anything about them. So it feels a bit hollow, but I can still appreciate the artistry and filmmaking and the choreography in these scenes same thing with the with the Jin and the cassian one again i don't we know more about these people still not a huge amount but that being said i like that it's not like they have they kiss weirdly in this scene i like that they literally just are both really injured at this point i like that they're on this beach watching this blast come in they just hold hands and then i think they decide that they would be more comfortable if they maybe just held each other and looked the other way instead of the blast. It, it's really, from an artistic standpoint, it, it's super effective. I just, I kind of just wish I may have had like another movie or TV show to get to know these characters better. So, Yeah, I agree with all that. I do, I do kind of wish we got to know these characters a little bit better before we do have to say goodbye to them. However, for me, I think these deaths do hit a little bit more. Like, I care about these death scenes more than I have than really anybody else in this franchise with maybe the exception of like Anakin or Yoda. Other than that though, like I find these deaths way more impactful here. Yeah, I will say this actually now that you made me think about this. Um my, my whole thing is that I, I don't care as much as I wish I could based on not knowing these characters and their motivations all that well. But to kind of play devil's advocate to myself, 
I also have said since I first saw it, the Han Solo death scene is one of the worst in this franchise. Han Solo is a legendary character. I feel nothing when he gets stabbed by his own son and then falls off the walkway. So at the very least in here, I mean, I don't know these people. I just met them in this movie. But these death scenes, even Bodhi's, which is the worst of them, I think, are all 10 times better than that scene where literally he gets stabbed by his own son. And like he like puts his hands on his face and still accepts him and then falls to his death. But that death is garbage. Um, so I will say <laughs> I will kind of like play devil's advocate to my own argument. I think these deaths, I don't know as much about the characters, but so well done, I would say, the deaths things themselves. I don't have too much to add on this. I'll just say that it was kind of cool that throughout most of this film, Cassian and um, Jen kind of had tension um, just because they didn't agree on everything. And so I was glad that they did not do some cliche thing and make them like lovers and kiss and all that kind of yeah. shit because I was really worried they were going to do that. I was glad they were still just friends at the end and they were still, you know, they knew their differences, but at the end they came together for the cause. So, I mean... That's what this movie was about. It was about, it was about the sacrifice. So yeah, I mean, everybody died at the end. So mm-hmm. it's the way it was. Yeah. <laughs> the rebel fleet does receive the plans for the Death Star. However, Vader is sent after that flagship. And we get one of the best closing scenes in this franchise. Oh, man, I remember watching this in theaters. And when this scene came up, I was like, oh, no, they didn't. <laughs> I was like... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I completely That was agree. so cool. It's amazing, dude. It's like a horror scene almost. Like it's terrifying when you see that lightsaber come up and all that smoke. They're just waiting with their guns and it's pitch black and then he just and then he just lights up his lightsaber and he's just standing there. I was like, that is iconic Vader. Like you might have said it, I mean, Empire is iconic Vader, but this was really one of the best Vader scenes throughout the entire um franchise. Yeah, I remember when I was in theaters and they're just sitting there. We're hearing the iconic siren going off that we hear in like all the other movies. And then they're just staring into the darkness. And then you hear the the breathing. And then the lightsaber goes out. <clears throat> I remember specifically, I, the second his lightsaber goes out and illuminates the hallway, I thought it was going to cut to credits there. I thought that was going to be the end. Because at that point, we don't need any other information. We know that the rebels are yeah, going to get do. the Death Star plans. And we know what's going to happen. It. But when he popped the lightsaber, I was like, oh, that's badass. And I thought it was going to cut to credits there. And then he starts fighting. And look, let's get the obvious out of the way. Does it make sense that chronologically, a couple days later, he fights Obi-Wan and it's the slowest fight scene anybody's ever seen? Of course <laughs> not. It doesn't make sense. But I'm, I like the director was just like, who cares? Let's just make Vader do what he does in the comics, the animated shows, the books that like everybody has been talking about for years. Let's show it. Dude, when he uses the force holds the guy in the ceiling keeps walking and then as he passes flings his lightsaber backwards cuts the guy's stomach open drops him pulls all the guns back i was gonna say pulls all the guns it's so yeah. good it's so it's you have the guy so screaming like help me help me and then as the, the saber yeah, goes the through the door guy just accepting i'm about to just i'm probably gonna get decapitated right now so he just is like <laughs> he just passes the plans through the door and then yeah. you see and vader stab through the door and open it it's oh so badass yeah, you do have to give the actors that played the soldiers here credit too. Like you could feel the fear in these guys for sure. And that last guy that they that, that had the card, he just screams, "Launch!" Yeah, yeah he, <laughs> like, like, holy he, shit, he dives like, through yes, the door. Launch! <laughs> yeah, Get the, yeah. yeah. No, it's an amazing cap off. I mean, it just it feels great. You know, as we've talked about, they really wanted to do the whole war movie aspect, so it just feels appropriate that we would get like a proper Vader scene. And again, even though chronologically we still have a lot of Vader left. 
this probably is, I would assume, the last time we see him in live action unless they do like a weird dream sequence in the Obi-Wan show. So I think they kind of knew this is probably one of the last times we'll see him. So let's just go out with a bang. Let's make him look like he should look. Um, I kind of wish maybe it had ended with Vader standing watching the uh, the ship fly off, you know, and then it cuts to his face like he's standing in open space. Probably a good last shot as opposed to we talked about Tarkin and kind of accepting that. I like seeing Leia. It makes sense. I feel like they spent less money on her than they did Tarkin. Maybe because Tarkin was more of a main character, so they were like, we need to put more money into this. The Leia thing was weird. She's under bright white light the entire time. And when she turns around, it's odd. They hold on it too long also. <laughs> the whole thing's weird because then if she had a badass line, that would have been cool. Instead, it's like, what does this mean, princess? And she's like, her lip is like quivering because of the CG. She's like, oh, <laughs> it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> so for me, it's fine. I was like, eh. I agree. I I'm, I'm giving it shit. Yeah, it is fine, it. but it's just one of those. I wish it would have ended with Vader just standing over watching him fly off. But it is sets up for the new hope. Yeah. I guess whenever he gets eventually gets to that ship. Yeah. Like literally there, like probably so. minutes from <laughs> this moment in real yeah. time, he catches up to her and then, you know, he gets him basically. Yeah. So. Yeah, we do get that shot of Leia, and the credits roll. So that's the bulk of the movie, but we got to touch on some smaller stuff that we didn't get a chance to get into. Let's do some quick hits. I feel like we need like a jingle, the way you said that. <laughs> quick hit! I don't know. We'll figure it out. All right, so we missed uh, one very important scene uh, back on y- on the uh, Yavin Four base mm-hmm. with uh, Jimmy Smits reprising his role as Bail Organa. That's right. Yeah, great scene. I also like that he mentioned that he was going back to Alderaan, obviously setting up the tragedy that would also come probably a few days later, where in order to pry Leia of information, Tarkin blows up Alderaan, so killing her father and everybody there. So I like that they kind of mentioned Alderaan with everything going on as well. Yeah, so that is a really cool scene. I like that a lot. What do you guys think about Krennic in this film, and how does he compare to the other villains in Star Wars? I guess it's tough to compare, just because most of those other characters had multiple films. But that being said, I'm not going to try and rank them or anything, because he probably would be lower just for that fact that he's only in one movie. But Ben Mendelsohn's great, as we talked about. I think I like that his whole thing is just to... He's just a kiss-ass. Like, yeah, like, in terms of the Empire, he is a big deal for basically spearheading the Death Star project. But at the same time, he's not doing it for any reason. He's just doing it to get more clout and hopefully the Empire, the Emperor will give him, like, a raise or something. Yeah. So I, I kind of like <laughs> yeah. that. I kind of like that that's, like, like, that's his goal. Yeah. So definitely a different type of villain than we've seen before. Yeah, I'd say he's probably in the top five. Like you said, Matt, I, I like that he had more of a desperation in him. Compared to the other people, the other people were kind of already established badasses, and he wasn't. He was trying to be a yeah. badass, but no one would give him any credit. And he's the only one of these villains, the main ones that we've talked about, that isn't a Sith or a Force user. So, like, yeah. you can compare him to Tarkin in A New Hope, I guess, like, in that sense. And Tarkin was already established yeah. at that point. So he's trying to so, rise up, basically. And, I mean, yeah. we have to acknowledge, like I said, we have to acknowledge, I mean, he really did spearhead the Death Star. So that that is a huge deal. Yeah. So he's a very important character. Yeah. He's probably accomplished more than anybody, maybe except Palpatine and Kylo, just because he got the Death Star built. Yeah. yeah. They liked it so much, they built it again. 
<laughs> with the same defect. <laughs> <laughs> An even worse one. Like in the at least in a new hope, it was just a little hole that you had to shoot a torpedo down. And returning the Jedi, you could fit like a billion ships in there and just fly to the center and blow it up. <laughs> well then in uh, The Force Awakens, they built a planet-sized hole in there as well. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And Han Solo fell in it. <laughs> <laughs> So we didn't really have a chance to touch on this and, and really just call it out, but the visuals in this film, I know they get praised in every Star Wars movie, but in this film especially, they're just so spot on. There's just so many great one-off shots, like the Star Destroyer above Jeddah City, or the Death Star above Scarif, like we touched on, or even just like all the, the X-Wing TIE Fighter shots in the space battle. Like, there's just so much here. This honestly may be the most visually impressive Star Wars film, I think, for me. Yeah, I think all the movies are shot extremely well and choreographed really well. But yeah, this one's on a different level for me. I think the lighting in this movie is just superb. I think the use of real world locations and turning them into like these cool, you know, Star Wars planets like Scarif is, you know, like a real place in the Maldives. I think that they just kind of made look the way it does. Um, but yeah, the way the choreography and the battle scenes and everything, the way it's shot, even just scenes where characters are talking feel like there's more care put into like where they put the camera and stuff as opposed to other films. So yeah, it certainly has a distinct visual style that makes it extremely watchable for sure. Yeah. And just with the way this is shot too, you really do just get such a sense of the overwhelming presence of the empire. Yeah. They do a good job of like pretty much in every scene, you feel the empire's presence, whether it's like something in the background or a panning shot. Like, the Empire just always has a presence on frame in this film to an extent that I don't think they really focus on in the other movies. Yeah, I agree with that for sure. Okay, let's get into our rankings. We got to rank the films that we've watched so far for the podcast. And I'll start us off this week. I'm going to go Rogue One, The Empire Strikes Back, Revenge of the Sith, The Force Awakens, The Phantom Menace, Attack of the Clones, A New Hope, and lastly, Return of the Jedi. And guys, I don't know how Rogue One doesn't end up at the top of your list, especially if it's of the films that we've seen so far. Our Rogue One is third on my list, so I guess I'll just say my list. Whoa. I'll go uh, I didn't expect that. Empire number one, Revenge of the Sith number two, Rogue One number three, New Hope number four, Phantom Menace, Return of the Jedi, Force Awakens. Dang, you think The Force Awakens is that bad that you're putting yeah. it below Return of the Jedi? I remember that was like one of our most shocking yeah. rankings yet uh, whenever Keith uh, ranked it last. I just really don't like that new trilogy. I know, I know. <laughs> I just really don't like Return of the Jedi. <laughs> so here's my list as it stands. I'm sure this is going to change every week just depending on my mood. But I feel confident in the top <laughs> two at least. The top two, I don't think are going to change. Or are they? They will. Um, so my number one, and I'll be I'll be straight up. Austin said there's no way Rogue One shouldn't be number one, and I actually kind of agree. It should be number one. I can't get past the characters. So number one for me. Well, hey, you just talked about how much you love the characters in this movie. No, I, I talked about the entire time that I I wanted to, but I didn't. I don't know. Here's what I know about these characters. I know their names, and I know one thing each of them did. And then they die. <laughs> I like their death scenes. I like some of the dialogue, but I, I, I want to love this movie. I want to love these characters, but I just think they shit the bed in terms of writing these characters. So number one is Empire, just for the fact that I love Lucan and Leia and the Invader. 
Number two's Rogue One, so it moved up in my estimation on this viewing. Number two's a good spot. It's higher than where Keith put it. Uh, number three, I'm going to put Revenge of the Sith. Number four is Force Awakens. Number five, A New Hope. Number six, The Phantom Menace. Number seven, Return of the Jedi. And number eight, and this one's going to stay number eight, is Attack of the Clones. <laughs> <laughs> so that's where my ranking's at right now. All right. Well, there we have it. We've got a couple different lists. We'll see how they change for the rest of the series. But before we get out of here, we've got to do our podcast awards. This is a segment where we give an award for literally anything. It can be anything. Keith never knows the rules, but it's time for the awards. Let's get into it. (laughs) Okay, I got one. It's something I mentioned earlier. I'm going to give the Secret Stoner Award to Saul Guerrero. (laughs) I'm pretty sure he was smoking some ganja out of that weird oxygen pipe he had. Yeah. Just the way he was like... Uh, he would just like get this like satisfied look on his face after he would take his word. Yeah. Okay. I agree. So that was good. That was good. All right. All right, Austin. It's your turn to give an award. And keep in mind, you can't give. Um, we know these characters are are apparently so precious to you, so you can't give an award to all of them. Just keep that in mind. <laughs> I'm going to give this should have been Mark Hamill's acting coach award to K2SO. <laughs> what? <laughs> no <laughs> no uh, why the performance k2so gives okay, in this film he's charming he's heartwarming he's funny the entirety of his performance is better than anything mark hamill has done in this franchise so far so far shout out to alan tudyk yeah alan tudyk shout out he was great okay matt take us home get us out of here what's your award tonight okay this one this one's been interesting because again i've only seen this movie once before and i really didn't like it and this time, I did like it more. Unfortunately, based on this review, I simply cannot give an award to anybody or anything involved with this movie. <sighs> My award will be for Most Accidentally Sexual. And it's going to Austin for, <laughs> for sexualizing Keith's trip to the, to the Lucas compound. <laughs> Where he's going to do his research. I didn't sexualize it. Keith sexualized it when he said, oh, baby, I want to be in that compound. <laughs> no, but the way you said it was like, oh, I bet Keith would like that. Yeah, and then you moaned into your microphone. That's not my fault. That's yours. Oh, my God. You're going to have to watch out for George Lucas in there. He might be prowling the grounds. Hey there, Sonny. What you, uh, what you doing here? <laughs> I like how Austin's I like Austin's revisionist history of Keith Keith's reaction to that joke was, oh baby, I wanna be there. <laughs> oh my gosh. Alrighty. Well everybody, if you made it this far, thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure you hit that subscribe button so you never miss any of our upcoming content. Also, if you wouldn't mind sharing us with a friend, we really do appreciate that so we can continue to grow this show. At The Arnie's is our social, and thearnies.media is the website. We'll be back on Tuesday with a discussion on the haunting of Bly Manor. Ooh. Boo! <laughs> also, everybody, we got a good month of content here. Like Austin mentioned, next time we're doing Haunting of Bly Manor, and the week after that, Austin, you said it at the top. This one might be our most controversial yet. I don't know, man, because we got The Last Jedi the week after that. We do. Ooh. That we do. It's going to be interesting. But in the meantime, 
if any, you know, as we love reviewing series on this podcast, so if you're somebody that's into watching The Boys, then you simply cannot miss out. Every Thursday, you can catch a new episode of the podcast within the podcast, The Boys Talking The Boys. <laughs> and on this <laughs> special series, we review each and every episode of season two of Amazon Prime's hit TV show, The Boys. So this Thursday, Austin, I believe, will be reviewing... Episode 7. Episode 7. I almost forgot. We're almost done. And after that, more Star Wars coming your way, because we'll be reviewing The Mandalorian in a few short weeks. Yeah. We are seven-eighths of our way through The Boys. And check us out on Instagram, at The Arnie's. Feel free to send us your comments on this episode and upcoming episodes. Nice. All right. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next week. Save the dream! More lies! <laughs>